0: Studied the form of comics into what you need is a hobby. The Words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like the devil in blind lawyer, you know. We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show.
1: The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic, and there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history.
0: You can put on a uniform for football year round nobody cares basketball year round nobody cares put on a star trek uniform people get a case of the giggles
1: yeah hi somebody told me they make comic books here that's from superman smallville
0: you have been trying that jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade it doesn't work oh it works you guys must read too many comic books or something
1: people do not
0: masturbate in the dc universe
1: that was the biggest load of crap i've ever heard Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows, and very frequently that takes the form of talking about comics that I've read sometime in the past and really enjoyed, and in fact have probably loved my entire life and then talking to you guys about it, but I would say probably about as often, it takes the form of reading comics that I've never read before, I know jack nothing about, and basically just kind of shooting the bull about how I reacted to those comics, how I liked them. And way, 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 way back in the beginning, when I first started Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, actually before I even started Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, I've made reference to this a few times now, but I put together a big, huge master list of basically all of the bullshit that I want to talk about during the lifetime of this show. And... There were certain things that I knew from the get-go I was going to get to sooner or later. Now, it may take a while, but sooner or later I was going to get there. And an example of that actually is today's comic, which is to say, The Spectre, Volume 3, Number 1. And... One of the reasons why I wanted to talk about that is not because I've read this comic and I've loved it my entire life. No, rather it's that I had never read this comic before but I still wanted to talk about it. It happens sometimes in life that it's like you don't need to read a comic in order to know that it's gonna be good. You know that you're probably going to enjoy this, but it's its almost like you have to be in a certain type of headspace in order to get uh, the full effect from it. Does that make sense? I guess what I'm saying is you need to be in the mood for certain things sometimes, and it's not enough just to kind of force yourself to do it. Your heart really needs to be invested in the material and it's not the kind of thing that you can really fake. One of the things I've noticed about you listeners is that you guys can usually sniff out my bullshit pretty easily. If you guys, it's like subconsciously, if you guys realize that I'm not 100% invested in whatever it is that I'm talking about, and by the way, that's happened a few times, I have recorded shows on a few occasions just to meet a deadline and get something out there, Those episodes tend not to get a whole lot of feedback. It's just something I've noticed. If I'm not 100% invested in whatever it is that I'm talking about, 10 to 1, you guys aren't going to be all that invested in it either, and so what are we doing here, you know? So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be extra careful with the Spectre. And because of that, it's actually taken me A really long time to kind of, I guess, work my way up to this, you know, Uh, because like I say, there are, there are some, I don't need a lot of inspiration in order to enjoy a Superman comic book. I can just open that comic up and maybe I'll enjoy it. Maybe I won't actually, now that I think about it, because I don't know, ever since the advent of this whole new 52 thing, and God knows everything that's come since most of what's happened with superman comics in recent years just really hasn't been my thing but honestly that's the exception that proves the rule by and large i don't need to i don't need to force it with superman is what i'm saying i can usually just pick up a superman comic and just get right into it you know that's not necessarily the case though with With other with other characters or other teams or or just or whatever other comics is what I'm saying, there are instances where, like I say, I just I need to be able to get into uh, the right mood. You know, I need to be able to basically say hand on heart this is the best show that I'm capable of making based upon talking about this comic book at this moment. You know, and. All of this is a really friggin' long way of saying that I've wanted to talk about the Spectre so friggin' many times now, but I kept pushing it back and pushing it back because I wanted to be sure that whatever it is that I say about the Spectre is going to be something that's actually worth listening to. Now, before I get too too much further along with this, and for those of you who are new to the show and maybe you don't know this about me, I kind of have a a set of informal rules of engagement, you know? When I, I usually start off each episode of my show saying that I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And yeah, there are instances where I stray from those topics, but by and large, that's really my mandate as I see it. That's really what This show is supposed to be all about the comics that I love, the movies that I love, the TV shows that I love or don't love for that matter. You know, basically sitting here talking about those things and implicit in that is a, I guess, a guarantee on my part that I'm not, for example, going to sit here running my mouth about politics, for example. You know, you guys, you're all smart, intelligent, reasonable adults. You don't need me to tell you which candidates that you should vote for for president or something silly like that. You guys don't need that. Or, as it goes for today's subject matter, religion. Now, yes, I've talked about political issues a few times on this show. I don't think I've ever talked about specific candidates, but I have talked about political issues at times because it it related directly to the subject at hand in the episode in which i guess that that tangent popped up right i didn't do it just for fun and games it was because it truly did relate to what i was talking about and in the past i've also talked about religion and again it was it it basically related to what I was talking about at the time. But for the most part, what I usually try to do is keep my political opinions and my religious views to myself. Because for a, for a podcast that's dedicated to comics, movies, and TV shows, I don't believe that talking about those things is appropriate. So even if that's the wrong policy to have, that's still the policy. Now, as I've said, there are are times when I've kind of had to break those rules a little bit because, like I say, it it related directly to what I was talking about at that time. And so I kind of had to bend the rules a little in order to, um, I don't know, do a comprehensive job, I guess, in discussing whatever it was I was discussing at that moment. And if you hadn't guessed, this whole preamble that I'm working my way through right now is kind of a disclaimer to say that I'm going to have to talk somewhat about, I don't know if, if I should say religion, per se, but theism. So, just full disclosure, I'm Catholic, I believe in God, and I certainly believe in the concepts of divine judgment, and, for that matter, punishment. So... That's the baggage that I'm bringing to the table whenever I read a Spectre comic. So whenever I sit here talking to you about the Spectre, my views of the Spectre, the way I I filter the, uh, the Spectre through, I guess, my interpretive imagination, those are the values and the philosophies that are motivating me as I do it. So, I don't want you guys to feel as though you're being preached at, because, again, this is not an appropriate forum for that, and I'm well aware of that. So, just rest assured, I will never use my podcast as a bully pulpit in order to get people to come around to my side on things, okay? I know better. I'm only mentioning it here, because, again, it relates directly to what we're talking about. So, otherwise guys, I wouldn't waste your time with it. So like I say, not trying to upset anybody. That's just where I'm coming from, I guess, on a religious basis. So anyway, now for a lot of you long-time listeners, a lot of this stuff isn't going to exactly be breaking news. You seem to trust me you know, with content and entertaining you week in and week out. So a lot of you are going to be very familiar with that. But over the past couple of weeks, my numbers have really kind of gone into the stratosphere. I've gotten a bunch of new listeners. And so they may not know, at least not necessarily, that I'm not one of those podcasters who who politics them or preaches to them or anything like that. So guys, that's not going to be me. It's just in this particular case, there's really no other way for me to uh, approach this this comic except from the standpoint of myself and my own personal experiences and, indeed, my own religious views. So that having been said, my path isn't necessarily your path. So I don't want you to feel like you're being pushed around here. So hopefully that's going to be enough, at least in terms of me covering my ass, that uh, all of you understand that this isn't intended to be upsetting or anything. It's just whenever i go through all of these comments, i want you to know what my perspective is on these sorts of things. So, now all of that having been said, this again is the spectre number 1, cover date is december of 1992, cover price is a buck 95, and as i recall, in 1992, comics that cost a buck 95, they were not unheard of, but that was hardly the norm either. I mean, in 1992 it was I think the going I think the going cost of comics was a buck 20 maybe a buck 50 I think there were maybe a few of those I think it would be 1993 or 94 something like that before the the buck 75 price point became a little bit more the standard so to see a comic that cost a buck 95 that was it's it was not unheard of, but it wasn't all that common either. Now, to get into the creators, editor is Dan Raspler, writer is John Ostrander, creator, or sorry, cover artist and interior artist is Tom Mandrake, colorist is digital chameleon, letterer is Todd Klein. Now, The reason I wanted to talk specifically about Volume 3, because guys, there are bunches and bunches and bunches of Spectre comics that were published before, in some cases long before, December of 1992. The reason I'm interested in Volume 3 is basically due to the fact, number one, that this is written by John Ostrander and drawn by Tom Mandrake. But Even that's only part of the story. The other aspect of it is... I remember DC's big promotional push for the Spectre, Volume 3, way back in... uh, I think it started in the summer of 1992. In my mind, that's the way that it works. Now, is, is that, in fact, the way that things actually played out? No, but I swear to have seen house ads for The Spectre, Volume 3, beginning in the summer of 1992. Now, who's to say that I'm even even remembering that correctly? But in my mind, that's the way it worked. So, and like I say, this is one of those comics that you didn't need to read the comic book in order to know that this is actually going to be an amazing comic, for some reason, there are creators out there that kind of have a little bit of a creative blank check with me. It's kind of hard to articulate, but for some reason, there are some char- uh, cr- creators, I should say, not characters, although those too, but there are some creators out there that they had me at hello, for want of a better expression. And that's a very small list. There are very few names out there where I'm pretty much on board with anything they do, but there are a couple. John Ostrander is one. And if you need another one, just for comparison's sake, another one would be Mark Wade. Either of those guys, I'm pretty much interested in whatever they do, you know? And this is kind of coupled with the fact that, I'd had a lot of near misses with Tom Mandrake over the years. I mean, I'd seen his work in quite a few places, but I'd never really paid a whole lot of attention to him. You know, he was one of those artists that you're aware of his work, but you've never really had a chance to sit down and immerse yourself in it. Does that make sense? He's one of those guys that you you keep seeing the name around, and God knows you've seen in passing. You've seen you've you've seen the guy's work, and so there's really no question as to the guy's talent or his capabilities or anything like that. You know that he can get the job done, and probably in a way that not just anybody can. So, going into this thing, by which I mean just hearing about the Spectre Volume Three way back in 1992. I already knew that, that John Ostrander was going to kick ass with it. I didn't need to read the comic in order to know that. And same thing goes for Tom Mandrake. I didn't actually need to see the work in order to know that it was going to be fucking amazing. So those were the expectations that I, that I had as an 11-year-old kid. And it's only really recently that I've had a chance to actually sit down and actually read these Spectre comics. So what does it tell you that these expectations that I've had for something like 25 or however many years it's been now, these prejudices and preconceptions and expectations and whatnot that I've had for the better part of 25 years now, guys, I was right, you know? I was right to be this confident in these men as as comic book creators. So, anyway, I just... I I think that it, it it says something that they were able to live up to all the hype that I that I was able to conjure up, you know, just as an eleven year old kid. And I didn't even really know anything about the Spectre back then. So I I hope that says something here. But given the fact that I certainly don't consider myself to be an expert on the Spectre, and I'm guessing a lot of you probably aren't either. I'm going to read a little bit off of uh, off of the uh, Spectre wiki page, just so that we can all kind of get an idea of what it is that we're dealing with here. In the powers and abilities section of the of, of the wiki page, it says, and I quote, "The Spectre has all the abilities a god would have, including but not limited to manipulation of time and space, control over all matter." invulnerability and limitless strength. For example, if he wished to wipe someone from existence, such as killing a bank robber with a tornado of dollar bills, he can so will it. Virtually anything he wishes to do to those he judges is possible. He has no discernible weaknesses, which is actually not totally true, but what the wiki page says is, he has no uh, discernible weaknesses other than needing a human host to be able to be a fair and impartial judge although he has been tricked before by Psycho Pirate and Eclipso. The Spectre is immune to most damage, although he can be hurt by powerful magic. Though he's widely considered to be the most powerful superhero in terms of abilities, the Spectre does not harm the innocent, unless he's been tricked into doing so. Usually immune to mind control effects, in the Blackest Night story arc, Atrocitus attempted to enslave him with a red lantern power ring, but the Spectre cast it off, stating that his fury comes from a higher power and cannot be controlled by a mere mortal. End quote. So basically, what this for those of you who don't know, Spectre is crazy powerful. There's pretty much nothing that this guy can't do. And in case it wasn't made clear, you could kind of see the Spectre as a little bit of a, as a, as sort of like the Wrath of God or uh, the Avenging Angel, you know, just whatever you want to call it, Angel of Vengeance, you know, whatever you want to call it, or Spirit of Vengeance, actually, is one of his nicknames, uh, the Spirit of Vengeance. And the shtick here is, in a lot of ways, this character, the Spectre, in a lot of ways, this character is kind of the... I, I i don't want to go so far as to say the quintessential Golden Age character, but he is quintessentially a Golden Age character. Because back in the Golden Age, the the modus operandi for a lot of comic book characters and superheroes and whatnot was usually superpowers that originated in some way or another from magic. Now... That's not universally true. Obviously, there's nothing specifically magical, by which I mean supernatural, about Superman or Batman or The Flash or probably other characters. But it was a time in comic book publishing when magic was kind of the go-to answer that a lot of comic book characters depended upon. A good example um, is Green Lantern, His ring, and I speak here of Alan Scott, his ring is basically powered by the mystical Green Flame. He's not really a member of the Green Lantern Corps as such. His power comes from a different source, specifically magic. Or Dr. Fate, whose entire shtick is magic. Or, as it goes for today's episode, the Spectre, who again, his power... I don't know if magic is necessarily the right word to use, but, again, for want of a better word, magic is basically the source of the specter's abilities. And this character is, as I've said, he's basically uh, the avenging wrath of God. And so he, he's not necessarily out to prevent crime, per se. Like, if if Superman can, can stop a burglary before it even happens, he's probably gonna do it. Same thing for Batman. Same thing for a lot of characters. The Spectre, given that his mandate is punishment, wouldn't necessarily do that. He'd simply punish the people after the fact. And that's an important thing to keep in mind whenever we work our way through the comic, that the Spectre is basically, he's not a superhero as such. He's almost like a judge, you know? And it's his mandate to punish evil. And so he's not, in fact, not just punish evil, kind of sadistically punish evil. So, but basically what it comes down to is the Spectre he's not necessarily out to to do anything other than punish the wicked. And for a character that's so completely dedicated to bloody vengeance and whatnot, in a weird kind of way, I'd almost want to compare the Spectre to the Shadow. Now, my view of the Shadow is honestly, the less said in terms of specifics, the better. But I guess my view of the Shadow is that he's something other than completely human, however you want to define that. And certainly he's he's all about justice too, lethal justice, in fact. But where they differ is, apart from the fact that the shadow and no incarnation that uh, that I know about, at least, in his entire history and no nowhere is the is the shadow ever shown to be anywhere near as remotely powerful as the specter is but there is a very sim a very kind of similar sensibility in terms of world view you know this idea of crime and punishment judging the wicked and all of that sort of stuff for some reason in terms of character not so much in terms of appearance or methods or anything like that i've always wanted to draw a lot of straight lines between the Shadow and the Spectre. Now, yes, like I say, there are a ton of differences, but in terms of worldview, I see a lot of similarities as well. So, I don't know. I've always just thought that was kind of interesting, and I'm just throwing it out there to see what comes back to me. So, and I think at this point, honestly, I'd probably better start getting into the comic book proper. This is The Spectre, Volume 3, Number 1, and again, editor is Dan Raspler, writer is John Ostrander, penciler is Tom Mandrake, colorist is Digital Chameleon, letterer is Todd Klein. The title of the story is Crimes of Violence. The Spectre starts out his new series investigating what role Lewis Snipe had in his own murder as Jim Corrigan. His investigation takes him to a hospital where he meets Amy Biderman. Amy notices Jim change into the specter outside the hospital during a drive-by shooting. This leads to her wanting to find out more about Jim. Meanwhile, the specter kills the thugs who committed the drive-by. He, th- uh, he the specter, then goes back to the hospital to find the truth about Lewis. When he finds out, he shows Lewis his own empty soul, and that kills him. Meanwhile, as all that stuff's going on, a regular guy who works close to Amy is secretly the serial killer known as the Reaver. He shows up at Sally Hendrickson's home for a blind date, and it's very awkward for her, and her awkwardness turns into a nightmare when this regular guy, the Reaver, seemingly regular guy, whips out a knife and kills her. To be continued. So, to get into it a little bit, I for, I, I tried to find the exact quote where John Ostrander described uh, his approach to this series. And I wasn't able to find it, but t- this isn't going to be verbatim, but I guess to kind of roughly paraphrase it, Basically, what he wanted to do was kind of an acknowledgement of the fact that the Spectre is a little bit of a sort of limited character. I mean, let's face it, the guy goes around killing the, the, the wicked and the evil and whatnot. There's really not a whole lot of, I don't know, character development that you can wring out of that well, as a writer, your job is to wring drama out of the story as much as you can, so what does one do? And Ostrander seemed to hit upon the idea of not so much developing the specter, because there's just really not a whole lot of potential there, more, I guess, developing Jim Corrigan the man. And I guess a good example of uh, of what I mean, uh, of what I'm talking about here, is there's this moment on, uh, on page four when Corrigan is paying a visit to Louis Snipe, and Snipe, uh, Snipe basically asks, why are you here? You know, what are you doing here? What do you want with me? And Corrigan answers... Because I'm tired, Snape, Snipe, because I'm tired, Snipe, confront evil. That's what they told me. For 50 years, that's what I've done, and the world is no better. The world's only become more perverse in its choice of evils, and I don't even know why. And that's really the end of the the pull quote here, but the point of it is, this is basically the beginning of Jim Corrigan going on a kind of interesting uh character journey. And I think I know the basic outcome of uh, of this little journey that he's on. The I guess the the draw to it is this is a kind of ingenious way of telling the story when you think about it because of the fact that like I say there's not really a whole lot of dramatic potential related to the specter. I mean, pretty much what you see is what you get. So if you're going to develop Jim Corrigan as a character, I think it's kind of a smart way to go to kind of paint Corrigan as this guy, this sort of, this guy that's suffering basically from a sort of spiritual exhaustion He's been doing the same thing day in and day out, ostensibly to make the world better. Except the world isn't better. In fact, if anything, it's only gotten worse. It doesn't appear to Corrigan as though the Spectre is really making any kind of headway here. And that sort of calls into question what exactly the Spectre's job is to do. And... I've only read this first issue, so I, I don't want it to sound as though I'm giving away spoilers because I don't really know anything. Not really. But when you think about it, his job is to confront evil. It never says, vanquish evil, conquer evil, wipe evil out. It never that That's not necessarily his job title. In fact, There's a very strong argument that such a thing isn't even really possible for anybody. No. His job is to confront evil, but it looks... But he's basically judging... uh, He's judging his success, I guess, in terms of social improvement. Is society a better place now... ...than it was when I first started, and is that because of my actions? And the answers to that are, no, society is not better. And that sort of calls into question the efficacy of his actions. If, that is, you define success as there being less evil in the world. And that, I think, is a little bit of a logical fallacy on Corrigan's part. He's not here necessarily to wipe evil out... He's here to confront it, to punish it. And when you think about it, that's a completely different type of mandate than what he seems to be interpreting as his job. What does success look like if you're the specter? Well, if, you, if you're the specter and you just killed somebody who's committed terrible acts of moral barbaric evil, of morally barbaric evil, then I'd say you've done your job, but see, that's the thing. Corrigan doesn't necessarily see it that way, and I don't know. I mean, that's that's I guess a kind of a human mistake for him to make. It's very, it's very logical, and it's very relatable. And please wait just a second while I get a sip off of my uh, off of my coke here. I also wanna get a drag off of my my e-cig because I've been running my mouth here basically nonstop. All right, just one more. So moving right along, on page five, Amy, Amy Biderman basically catches up with Jim because she's overheard the conversation that he had with Snipe. And basically, she's she's a social worker, but uh, she pretty much reaches out to, to Corrigan anyway. And she basically just says, you look like you've got a lot of pain and well, I may be able to understand a lot of what you're going through. And of course, implicit in this is, do you want to talk about it? And Corrigan's reply to that, as he has sort of the reflection of skulls in his eyes is, thank you anyway, Miss Biderman, but I'm afraid I'm somewhat beyond therapy. And then from there, on on page six, the drive-by shooting happens, and Jim Corrigan gets his mat on and the Spectre goes into action. And this is really the first time that we get a a decent idea of the Spectre and, I guess, his methods. Basically what he does is a giant version of the Spectre floats out of the street and swallows the getaway car. And then from there, sort of Freddy Krueger style the the drive-by shooters come to and see themselves basically as fingers on the specter's giant hand and he he whips out a giant hypodermic needle filled with fire sticks it in his vein and then injects his own arm with fire which of course burns up the humans who are now his his fingers. I mean, if this all seems a little Freddy Krueger to you, you're not alone. Now, I guess to get down to brass tacks, and this kind of ties back with the religious stuff that I was mentioning earlier, look, I believe in God, and I also believe in the idea of judgment. And, you know, the idea of of hell is something that you really can't get too far away from in terms of, like if you, if you do any, spend any amount of time with, you know, studying Christianity at all, hell is, it, it's funny that it's rarely a front and center concept in Christianity, but it it's never totally off the table either. It's always right there on the periphery right and so as a result a lot of different people have a lot of different ideas on what exactly hell is and so i certainly don't have any kind of special insight into that but one of the more formative i guess interpretations of hell at least that i've that that, that i can think of off the top of my head is inferno you know dante's inferno and in 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 one part of inferno what we see in hell is oddly enough we we see the devil but he's encased in ice he's immobile he's ineffective he's powerless but that's really not the kind of fire and brimstone image that a lot of people have when it comes to hell, and so I guess I mean it's one of those things that I've never really bothered to develop. I, I guess a, a a a coherent view of, but I mean I've never really been able to completely sign on to the idea of the whole fire and brimstone angle of hell. I mean I do. I mean again that's kind of guaranteed with judgment. That as to hell? Not necessarily, you know? So what I'm saying is the fire and brimstone angle that I don't know that I completely subscribe to. And so that kind of leaves on the table, perhaps a more creative, less literal, type of punishment, at least for certain types of people who have done certain types of things. Again, I'm only speaking from my own opinions on this, but who's to say that maybe the most vile people who have ever lived in all of history, that they won't be dealt with in, in a way similar to this, where they become basically a finger on God's arm, and then he injects himself with a syringe full of this burning, flaming substance, and then they're basically eaten alive by it. I mean, on the one hand, I, I'm i hard-pressed to point you to any kind of authoritative theological source for that, but on the other hand, I, just my own personal views of hell are that, guys, I don't think anybody's really qualified to say what it what it is or what it isn't, you know? And so the other thing is, it kind of calls into, at least for me, it calls into question degrees of culpability and thus degrees of judgment. Maybe that is far beyond the scope of what we need to be talking about here. But I guess what I'm saying is, one of the things that I've always kind of assumed about hell is that it's not going to be a monolithic, universal experience for everybody who ends up there, if indeed anybody ever does who's to say that one person's torment won't be less severe perhaps than somebody else's i mean again i don't think anybody is really and truly qualified to say that for sure and so one of the things that kind of rings true for me i guess from a theological standpoint about the specter is that yes there is a there is accountability i believe that you know everyone's going to have to face someday and in some cases i kind of have to assume some people are going to have a very unpleasant experience but you know the convention <clears throat> excuse me the uh, conventional views of hell as uh, a place of fire and brimstone and all of that sort of stuff not all evil is equally weighted there are some things that are worse than others and so there are some punishments that are more appropriately severe than others. And so the idea of God executing judgment in such a in 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 such a, I guess, a visceral way. On the one hand, that seems kind of anathema to my view of God, because I don't see it as something that God would necessarily take pleasure in. You know, like a kind of sadistic joy that, you know, the evildoers are being punished. I don't think, I don't think that would be his point of view on it. Again, it's not, I can't speak for what hell is like. I certainly can't speak for God's mind and his will and his his judgments, I guess. I can't make any kind of you know, definitive statements on that, but it's just my sense of it has always been that this is something that would be done with seriousness, with the utmost sobriety, but not a kind of sadistic pleasure. Does that make sense? So, I don't know. I mean, so on the one hand, what I'm saying is the idea, the concept of uh, of justice and of judgment, these are ideas that I'm very comfortable with. On the one hand, on the other hand, though, this is still somewhat foreign to to me, I guess, on a theological level. So I guess what I'm saying is I think it's a mark of good fiction and good writing that something can kind of hit you on uh, in terms of your religious and spiritual views, and yet it can still be thought-provoking for you, even if it doesn't completely line up with how you personally view, in this case, religion and the afterlife, death, judgment, hell, the whole thing, on the one hand, but on the other hand, still be a viable and entertaining piece of fiction. So, I don't know. Again, I give it up to John Ostrander for for being able to walk that fine line, you know? And yeah, there is an argument there that, you know, this fine line was kind of established for him back in the 30s by Siegel and Bailey. And you know what, whatever. The point is, though, is I think he does an incredibly good job with this in terms of, I guess, the creativity of the Spectre's punishments and, and at the same time, the punishment fitting the crime. And at the same time, he sort of steps on the toes of my religious views, but not too much. Just a little bit. A little bit goes a long way. So, overall, that that part of the story it's at the it's at once horrifying. Don't get me wrong, but it's also entertaining as well. So, hopefully, that doesn't make me sound like a like a weirdo or anything. And then you get this kind of neat little moment at the bottom of page eleven. <clears throat> where the Spectre uh, watches the, the wrecked getaway car as it burns. And in the third to last panel on the page, what you see is the Spectre, he's got this sort of sad, mournful type of expression. And lest you think that's an isolated type of thing in the very next panel, right next to it, he's kind of making a very similar type of face. It's equally mournful. So what this tells us is that, you know, there is wrath in all of this. There is, there is anger, but that there's not necessarily a sadistic joy to it anymore. I mean, once upon a time, I don't want to know. I mean, I don't know as I'd go so far as to say this guy got his jollies out of killing people in this way. But there was at least the satisfaction of knowing that what he did was what needed to be done. And again, here at the bottom of page 11, what we're seeing is a little bit of a chink in the armor. This job is starting to get to him. Number one, he questions, I guess, the efficacy of his calling and how good a job at this he's really done. But then there's also what does this do to you? You know, what does this do to you on a on a very primal, very human, very spiritual level? It's not good for you to take life. It's not good for the person whose life you're taking, don't get me wrong, but I mean, just for you, for you personally, as a human being, it's not good for your soul to take life. Even if it's in, um, I guess, a, a, as it goes in this case, a sort of, Divine capital punishment, it's not good for you. And guys, I live in a very red state. I've got, look, Texas, when it comes to capital punishment, I mean, our reputation kind of precedes us. Guys, I've met people who have worked on death row, and there's something in their eyes, or maybe it's there's something that's not in their eyes anymore, you know? There's something that they had to turn off in order to be able to do their job and they haven't really been able to turn it back on ever since. You know this I don't I don't want to say compassion necessarily but there's this empathy that I think a lot of people have in seeing other people suffer. You know and it even though these people were duly convicted by by the court they were Declared to be guilty by a jury of their peers. In a lot of cases, many of them even confessed to the crime. There's really no question as to the guilt. This still... Putting these people to death damaged the person who put them to death. You know, who had to pull the lever on the gas chamber or flip the switch on the electric chair or drop the plunger on the syringe for the lethal injection. You know, it does something to your soul to take life and it's not I'm not trying to sound like I'm anti-capital punishment because I do think there are instances where that's a completely valid uh, punishment but number one it's not appropriate for everything and number two be careful recommending that simply because of Number one, you're taking away something that you can't give back. And number two, part of what you're taking away that you can't give back is maybe a little bit of your own soul. You know, it costs something. Even though it, guys, this is not murder. This is as this is a state execution of somebody who's confessed to their crimes. It's still, none of that stuff matters on some level because this still is damaging to you on a very personal level and yes, very spiritual level, it's not good for people to do this. You know, there's the... Take a firing squad, all right? Generally, with a lot of firing squads, what they do is they give everybody except one person live, live ammunition. They give one person blanks. But here's the thing: they don't tell you you know those people who are part of the firing squad. They don't tell any members of the firing squad who has the blanks. They simply say that one of these one of these weapons is shooting blanks. And what this does is, on a strange primal level, what it does is it it allows everybody who's pulling the trigger. To believe that they're the ones who are shooting blanks. And again, you know, this is just one of those recognitions of the fact that, guys, I've never, don't get me wrong, I've never taken life or anything, and I hope I never have to. But my sense of it is this is not good for your soul to do something like this, even if it's justified, even if it's state uh, state sanctioned. Even if it's self-defense, I don't care. It's not good for you on a spiritual level to do that. Does that make sense? So, what I'm rambling towards here is that at the bottom of page eleven, all of that stuff that I've just said, all of that and more, is wrapped up in the spec uh, the specter's facial expression. Yes, he's he's done his job. Yes these people were pieces of shit. Yes, they were manifestly guilty. He personally witnessed their crimes. So on and so forth. It doesn't matter. On some level, Jim Corrigan, the man, is disturbed by what he's done and what he's going to continue having to do, possibly for all of eternity. And guys, that's fucking grim. This is one of those moments when you realize, you know what, being the specter has got to be the mother of all curses. This is not a gift. This is a curse. And it's one I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Anyway, so moving right along, you know, for the next couple of pages, it's basically, it's basically Nate and Amy, and they're basically going back and forth about Jim Corrigan and all of this weird bullshit that's uh, going on with him so on and so forth and it's basically building towards stuff that's going to be addressed in future issues it's not really so much important here it's more about what's coming in the future and in relation to that it does its job it's very expository and it works but it's not it's not exactly the the most entertaining thing in the world to listen to you know or not to listen to 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 sit there and read, you know, and it's not necessarily the easiest thing to summarize either, but, you know what, here we are. So, in any case, uh, basically the issue ends with the Spectre diving into, for want of a better expression, uh, Snipe's soul, and basically he and Snipe have a sort of soul-to-soul sort of magical smackdown, and... Ultimately, the way the way that the Spectre chooses to punish Snipe and, I guess, win the day is to show him his own empty, blackened soul. And again, this speaks to the fact that doing this sort of thing isn't spiritually healthy for you, especially if you're on the wrong side of the law and you're doing this for the sake of evil, you know, and that ultimately is what, is what does snipe in. And it kind of just, like I say, it plays into that whole tirade I just went through a minute ago, which I'm, I'm not going to repeat, but it went on for a couple minutes and um, just kind of uh, pl- uh, plays into all of that as I see it. And so that is basically the end of the issue. And one of the things that... this issue needs to do just on a kind of mechanical level is make you want to read issue number two and it does i i don't know when but i am going to come back to this i am going to talk about uh, the second issue i just truly don't know when that's going to be i don't know when i'm going to have an opportunity for that but that's going to happen i mean this is one of those comic book series that It feels kind of... I'm going to be honest with you. It it feels like a really strong vindication that... You know what? It's okay sometimes to kind of have blind faith... In a a, uh, comic book creator... That these guys can and will bring home the bacon. So, anyway. I really can't wait to listen to... Or listen to, sorry. I can't wait to read... And then talk about issue number two... And just kind of work through all of that with you guys. So, like I say though don't know when that's going to be. I just know that I'm going to do it. And that, I think, is pretty much it for me this week. So as to next week, I'm not really sure what I'm going to be talking about just yet. I've got a couple of ideas, but honestly, nothing's really set in stone yet. But um, anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for me this week, though. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week.
0: the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled Ryan the toy geek Scott the award winning radio host Jeff Scott's minion and Ron just Ron dedicated to truth justice and geek for all mankind it's dinner for geeks dinner for geeks proudly crusades at two twotruefreaks.com this is an imaginary podcast which may never have happened the short box showcase but then again may have about a father and daughter i'm professor Allen. and i'm emily who came from ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead, Tintin, Black Lightning, White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't gonna win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. This is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast, aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at RelativelyGeekyPodcast.blogspot.com, or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts; we're just family.
1: You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section visit our website at twotruefreaks.com.
0: Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time two true freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on itunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow we have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom just search two true freaks with an exclamation mark at the end space and the number two If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed
1: our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with De Manzacor of Milan, Italy.